0: We we're in a series, Better Decisions with Fewer Regrets, and if I had to ask you um, how many of you wish you had fewer regrets, I think we'd all raise our hand. You know, our, our, our goal, our desire, our every day, we want to um, end the day with as few regrets as possible. And sometimes that seems like an impossible task. Sometimes it feels like the regrets stack up as the day goes on. Um, but if, if we would get to that place where we make better decisions, on the front side, then Lord willing we could anticipate having fewer regrets on the back side. I'm not going to start with a passage of Scripture. I want you to think about some things and then we'll just kind of read some passages in 1 Samuel. If you want to turn there um, we'll be looking at 1 Samuel 13, but we'll get into that as we go along in the message. How many times have you been faced with a question that's disruptive? You know, maybe it wasn't a bad question. Maybe it's a great question. But the way it was asked, or the timing, something about it just got on your nerves, you couldn't get past it, you really didn't respond to the question, you just responded in frustration because the question um, did that to you. Someone, you know, have you ever said, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And maybe it's just the person asking the question and the question that actually stepped on your toes. It wasn't the question at all, it was the person who asked it and and just our our preconceived ideas and frustration and the tension that we all live with. Maybe it was a really good question, um, but maybe we just didn't like the timing of the question. We weren't prepared to answer the question then. Um, Maybe the question and a lot of times, it's the question and how it's asked or when it's asked, it just happens to ruin our plans. Uh, we know the question was deserved. In fact, the person's close enough to know to ask the question, and, and here we are. Now we've got to rethink what we're doing. And we know they're right all along. And, and we get frustrated, and, and we'll react. We'll, we'll say something just to express our frustration. You know, questions like, how much did you spend on that? I mean, that's a, that, that question will get you sometimes. Um, how about this? Are those the people you should be spending time with? How much time are you spending with that game? Is that really, should you be giving this much time to your job? A lot of these questions, your hobbies, um, is that something you should be saying? Or something you should be listening to? All these types of questions create tension. They have the potential to create tension. But if we're going to make better decisions with fewer regrets, it's because we give attention to the tension. We actually understand what's at the root of the question and we give attention to it. Are we really willing to pause? It's important. We have our plans, we have the things we want to do, but it's important that we're always willing and ready, prepared to pause when there is a tension and consider our plans and find out, is this really what's best? Is there another decision I should be making in this case? We started out the series and just said, are we really being honest with ourselves, really? And so many times, when there's tension, we need to go back and ask those questions. Are we being honest with ourselves, really? We ask the question, what story do I want to tell with my life? What legacy do I want to leave? And and when there's a tension, you know, it's good to go back and just ask that question. Okay, so I go ahead with my plan, or maybe it's a great plan, but the wrong time. How's that gonna affect other people? How's that gonna affect me? What's the long-term effect of this decision? We ask that legacy question. We ask the question, is it the wise thing to do? There's so many things we should be considering when it comes to this tension. We look in scripture, there are two kings we're incredibly familiar with, but they approach this tension completely different. Their approach couldn't be any more and distinctly different. And that's where we're looking in 1 Samuel 13. You know, Saul had just led or the defeat of the Ammonites. And he was heroically anointed as king. Leading up to this passage of Scripture, man, he was on cloud nine. He was the king that Israel had asked for. He was the king that they had wanted. He was the king that they adored. He was, he was attractive. He was admired. He was leading this nation, this young nation. Next we see that Jonathan defeated the Philistines. So, his son has gone out to battle. He's been successful. And again, he's riding this amazing wave of success, and the people are following him. But he made the, the Philistines angry in the process. And in chapter 13, we see the children of Israel are encamped in Gilgal. And, and Saul is waiting. And we all know this story Saul is waiting for Samuel to come. He, he knows what his role is as a king, but in Israel, the priest had an incredibly important role. And they had specific responsibilities. And and the the responsibilities of the king, the responsibilities of the priests, they didn't overlap in that way. And so he's waiting for Samuel to come and offer these sacrifices. But there was a problem. And we we see that in this passage. In verse 6, let's read it together in 1 Samuel 13. We see the issue. It says that the men of Israel saw that they're in a strait for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves, and in thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in the pits. And it says, And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gilead." So, here the children of Israel, they're encamped against the Philistines, and the Philistines are a formidable foe, and they're getting nervous. The tension is building. For Saul, the tension is building. For the people, the tension is building. And it says they're leaving, they're fleeing, they're hiding. This, you know, going from victorious and conquering to now intimidation, and they they can't attack, they can't go out to battle, they're waiting, and the waiting has become incredibly painful. So in verse 8, we see Paul or Saul is is faced with attention at the end of verse 7 as Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, it says, trembling. So here now he has um, not so eager followers. Verse 8, it says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Here's Saul. He's in a difficult spot. None of us tonight would envy. What was going on with Saul right then in the nation of Israel? You know, Saul is thinking in his mind like us, if we were there in that position, we would be thinking, you know, Philistines encamped, larger army, uh, we're not going to be able to defeat them. Samuel, who knows where he is? He was supposed to be here and he's not. All the people are trembling, they're scared, and now they're scattering. He's thinking, I know how this is going to end. And it can't end well. He's thinking, here I'm the king, I'm leading these people, I'm not doing my job because they're, they're being scattered, I need to fix this problem. And there's that tension that's there, what do I do? Do I wait? Do I wait on God? Do I wait on Samuel? Or do I just get the job done? What needs to be done so we can move on, so we can attack the Philistines? Verse 13, um, we see the Lord correcting Saul, as soon as, no longer, no sooner had he offered the sacrifice, and then Samuel comes. What does Samuel say in verse 13? Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which He commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established His kingdom upon Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought Him a man after His own heart. Lord had commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord had commanded. He made a mistake. Took things in his own hand. The tension, he couldn't handle the tension. He wasn't willing in that moment to accept the tension that was placed there by God. God was in control. God had delivered Israel. Israel, Saul, Saul could see the history of God's deliverance. It's something he knew. He knew how he had delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. He knew how he had delivered them in the wilderness. He, he knew how he had helped them to cross the Jordan River and he had delivered enemies into their hands. And he had all this history of God's deliverance, and suddenly, God wasn't there for him. He took things into his own hands. He wasn't okay with the, temp, with the tension. And what did the Lord say? He says, I've sought out a man after my own heart. Man, so many regrets you know, when you look at Saul's life, he didn't learn from that situation. He turned around and and did the same thing again. He took things into his own hands. We see Saul doing that time and time again. He had the instruction. He had the tension. He had good reason to pause, to consider his actions. He had all the information, all the knowledge, all the reason He wasn't okay with the tension. And because of that, he lived with regrets. And and David came to replace him simply because he wasn't okay with this tension. The man was David. We know that the threat now, Saul sees him as this threat. David goes out. He defeats Goliath. He's victorious. The children of Israel are singing his praises. He's victorious in numerous other battles. And Saul was in attack mode. Saul couldn't stand it. Now he had someone he knew would succeed him, but he wasn't okay with it. He wasn't ever okay with what God had planned really. So here David is, he's running from the man who he had been anointed to succeed. He had been anointed by God to take Saul's place and to lead the, his chosen people, the nation of Israel. So here Saul, David is with a group of 400 men. They're fugitives, they're people who've, who've come and gathered around him, and they're gonna fight with him and for him, and they're hiding in Gedi. It's this wilderness area, and it's about 30 miles from Jerusalem. It's not too far. Um, it's an incredibly rugged area, there's caves everywhere. And, and, and David knows this is a place where I can, I can be hidden and I can be protected. I can find the shelter I need for me and my men. I know that I stand a chance if I can hide here. And he's hiding there. Well, word comes to Saul and he says he's on his way from fighting the Philistines. He, he heard that he was hiding out with 400 men. So, he gets an army of 3,000 men and he goes after David. This should be pretty simple. And there's only one issue though. He finds himself taking a break, leaving his men, and going into a cave lined with David and all his men. And that's where he chooses to go and cover his feet and take a rest. Think about it for a minute. Turn to um, 1 Samuel 24, and we'll just read a few verses here to kind of understand the story 1 Samuel 23, 24 and verse 1 it says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, it was told to him, Behold, David is the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all Israel, went to seek David and his men upon the rocks, the wild goats. He came to the sheetcoats by the way, there was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, The day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose. You think about it. These men are are running, hiding, running for their lives. They're fugitives. These are men who had spent time in jail. They had men who would committed crimes. They are men who were looking for a leader, someone who wouldn't judge them, someone who could accept them, someone they could um, join arms with. and and it was David. David was on the run. David needed men to help him fight these battles and protect while he was in the wilderness. And so these men found David, and, and I'm sure they found comfort in being with him. They found strength in numbers. And here their enemy, the one chasing him, Saul, presents himself right there, the perfect opportunity. You think, you think about the position David was in. David was, he had, he's on the trail, he's, he's victorious in every battle he fights, and, and he's to be the king. He was anointed by Samuel to be the king. And the only person standing in his way is the man who wants to kill him and is in that cave hunting him. It just happens to be he has his opportunity to take his life. His man, they were ready. Go ahead, David, let's get this done, let's do it. And then we'll leave from here. We'll go right up to Jerusalem. You can be the king. And we're going to receive our place of prominence. We're going we're to be the ones who have respect that we've never had. And, and they're, these are the men that David loved. These are the men who, who fought with David at this point. And David steps out to take Saul's life. That's what he arose to go do, was to take Saul's life. Take his life? walk out of the door of the cave, hold his head up to the entire army of Israel, those 3,000 men, and say, who's your king? And what would they do? He had just killed Goliath. He'd been victorious in battle. They would have rejoiced to know that David was their king. They knew he had been anointed a king just as well. But there was a problem. There was a pause there. And we see it in this passage as we go on. It says, then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. It says, it came to pass afterward that his heart smote him because he had cut off his skirt. What had happened? He said said unto his men in verse 6, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing against my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. God's anointed David to be king, to follow Saul, but not to take Saul's life. And in that moment, David experienced that tension, and he paused. And he made a decision in line with what God wanted. He said, wait a second, unlike Saul, he said... I don't know how this chapter is going to end. I don't know what God has planned for me. I know he wants me to be the king, but I don't know how. And it's not me to take things into my own hand. That's not what Saul did. Saul said, the, the enemy is out here. there to be defeated. We're supposed to offer this sacrifice. It's, it's the priest's job. But look what's happening all around me. What are my options? I'm left with no options. Trust the Lord to take care of the situation or take things into my own hands. What would Saul do? He took things into his own hands. He he saw his way. He said, I know how this is going to end. It's not going to end well. What did David say when he was faced with a tension? I don't know how it's going to end. Saul might take my life. I've been anointed to be the king. But I'm going to trust God to make that happen. I'm not going to take those things into my own hand. In that split second, Saul or David was OK with this tension. He was willing to live with the tension. In verse 12, he goes on, it says, "The Lord judge between me and thee. this is talking to Saul, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee." You know, Saul eventually acknowledged what was going to take place. Saul knew how this was going to end. You know, and David even had another opportunity to take Saul's life. And he made the same decision. I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Everything lined up for David. And David wouldn't take things into his own hand. He responded. When he had to make a choice, he inserted the pause that was necessary. Can you imagine the adrenaline that's pumping? And David's heart, and his body, and his mind, the adrenaline that's pumping. Here this man is coming to attack you. You know he's coming. They're hiding because they know Saul is looking for him. They're on on the hunt. And and this man walks in there, into that cave, presents himself. And in that split second, he understood, my legacy will be, I killed the king. He, He wasn't willing to make that choice, make that decision. He was okay with that pause. When something bothers us, when something isn't exactly right and we don't know why, are we willing to pause, consider, take our foot off the gas? And that's hard sometimes. Amen. You know, we'll say something like, Well, <clears throat> I agree with you completely. But then we'll turn to someone else and we'll say, it's, who, it's the person that was saying it. That's why I had such a hard time with it. That's why I couldn't take their advice. It wasn't what they were saying. It was who was saying it. And, and we're not okay with this pause. You know, when we don't know why, when something bothers us, experts have called this the red flag moment. Sometimes, though, that red flag is just waving, and we choose to ignore it. We just let our emotions continue to drive the ship. The the red flag, it could come in the form of a family member, it could come in the form of our finances, it could come in the form of an argument or or a confrontation. We know it's not a place for us. We know it's not what's best. We know this should stop us. But we let emotions get involved. We don't pause. When our conscience speaks up, how many times do we think, man, my conscience is so inconvenient. Maybe you don't think that. Maybe it's just me. We've got our plans. And it's so easy to try and make circumstances bend to our plans so we can continue to proceed. Our conscience is speaking up as loud as it can. As often as we're willing to acknowledge it, our conscience will speak up. But man, we want our circumstances to bend to our plans and we just keep going. Ask yourself a question. What about this bothers me? And actually stop and and think about it. Uh, Not just from your perspective, but from others' perspective, from the Lord's perspective. What about this situation bothers me? David didn't know God would take Saul out seven chapters later. If David knew that, we'd say, yeah, good decision, Saul. Do the honorable thing. Continue to honor the king. But if if we thought Saul was going to continue to wreak havoc in Israel and make poor choices, would it be easy for us to say, hey, David, just just get it over with. This is unbearable. David didn't know God would take out Saul seven chapters later. We don't know what the next chapter looks like. In this story, Saul thought he did. In our life, so many times, we wish we did. And we like to act like we do. And we plan our whole life around assuming we know the next chapter. Truth is, we don't. That's right. In so many areas of life, we don't know the next chapter. We know what it means to walk by faith. Walking by faith is acknowledging, I don't know what the next chapter looks like, and I'm okay with it. But today, right now, I'm responsible to trust the Lord, and I'm willing to do it. It's painful. It's painful as deliberate as we have to be, as often as people will question our motives, they'll question our sanity because we aren't trying to predict what God has planned. You know, sometimes we're in a hurry. Sometimes others are in a hurry. It's so easy for us to outpace God and His plan. You know, sometimes we'll just ask ourselves the question, well, if no one else is bothered, why am I? (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe because God's speaking to us maybe because we're the one person that matters and should be hearing from God. Joshua Nash warned this. He wrote, it's generally a mistake to take our cues from what does and doesn't bother everyone else. That's not the place of a Christian. But so many times we do that. We all want to feel good about ourselves. We all want to fit in. And those needs sometimes supersede what God wants, and His plans for us. Uh, it's, it's easy to take something like this <clears throat> and say, okay, I quit, I'm not going to do anything. And that's not right either. This pause and this tension and <clears throat> giving time to consider, I'm going to get a drink of water here, I apologize. It's not getting any better, so let me just do this. Sorry about that. Thinking of a pause. Pause. It's a good game. Okie doke. I turned off, he had me off. I turned me on to say he had me off. And then I couldn't remember whether I was off or on over here. So, it got crazy in a hurry. We can't allow ourselves to go to a place of inaction. That's not a place of faith either. God expects us to act. He gives us the wisdom to act. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's wisdom not relying on our own wisdom. That's what Saul did. He, he relied on his own understanding. David didn't rely on his own understanding. He did take action. David was a man of action. And, and this pause or this tension is not an excuse for inaction. What is it an excuse for? It's an excuse for prayer. Yeah, right. it's, an, it's, it's taking time to listen to God. It, it's taking a few moments to get counsel. It's for me, Listening to my wife. For me, listening to my son Isaac when he asked dad, did we check the lock on the hitch? It's, it's time to pause and, and make wise decisions in simple things, in complex things. It's being considerate, not, not being ex- using um, this as an excuse for inaction. You know, if we contemplate, if we take time, we can make better decisions with fewer regrets. In my own life, you know, just studying and preparing to teach this, thinking, my person, I tend to push. I tend to look at an obstacle, figure out how to take it down, get around it. I've been called a rule breaker. I don't really feel like I've ever broken any, okay, that'd be such a huge lie. I have broken a rule or two. But I just try to understand the rules. And what's not articulated, I don't concern myself with. <laughs> but, I, but when obstacles are there, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to work your way around. And sometimes we get engaged with the obstacles. We know if in David's case, I'm to be the king. And then we just say, hey, step ABC gets me there. That's where I'm going and we plan it out, and, and in most cases, that's great. But sometimes we should be willing to consider A, B, and C is not the right step for us to take. We need to do A, B, and ask God. A, B, and listen to the question. A, B, and consider counsel. It's important, it can help us make better decisions. For me, in my life, I've been blessed. The Lord surrounded me. The Lord knows my personality. He knows how He made me, and He surrounded me me with people who are comfortable with tension and comfortable with providing me with tension. Like I said, my wife never hesitates to ask the questions. They're important questions. Do I respond properly? Occasionally. Not always. Always. But if you ask me, are her questions appropriate? 99% of the time, incredibly appropriate. Uh, uh, Let's just get it out there, 100% of the time, (laughs) appropriate. (laughs) My son Isaac, early on, I always called him my safety manager. We're always doing projects together and doing things. And um, I try to be careful, um, but man, he sure helps me with it. And so I've just called him my safety manager. My wife, Rochelle, thought that meant something negative. I tried to explain to her, no, on a job site, the safety officer is an incredibly important person. And the Lord just gave me a safety officer who happened to be in my house for 18 years. And I, I needed it. <laughs> pastor L, I I have had the privilege of working for pastor for 20 plus years now. And pastor is comfortable with that tension. And I've learned a lot, and it's been a big help to me. That tension's important. That tension's a help to us. The questions the Holy Spirit asks us are worthy of our consideration. Are you willing to be honest with yourself? Sometimes we're just not even honest enough to accept the fact the question exists, and we just want to blow past it. Are you willing to stop and listen? Are you willing to accept that tension and probe the tension? Or are we too quick to dismiss the tension? All of us know. We can grow. The Lord wants to. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. You think about Saul. So much promise. So much potential. And in a lot of ways, more promise and more more potential than David. But he lost it. And you and I wouldn't know what we might miss out on so many times because we aren't giving that pause and we aren't comfortable with attention and we aren't giving attention to things. Something gets on your nerves doesn't mean you need to bowl right over it. You might just need to give a little pause and think, is that the Holy Spirit speaking through that person? Don't focus on who said it or how they said it. Just ask the Lord, hey, Lord, did you just speak to me and do I need to listen? And for all of us, we can grow. We can listen more. We can mature. We can be more accepting. We can be more loving. We can be more of a help to those who want to be a help to us, including the Lord and His Holy Spirit. If you would, let's go ahead and stand together this evening.